cool. Um, remember when they, they, they toured uh, Rattlesnakes? I was at that. Oh, you were at that? Did, yeah. the, 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 the Badlands. Yeah. But um, one of my one of the guys I worked with in Gindorf at the time, his dad uh, was managing Lloyd Cole years and years Derek ago. McKillop. So they, I think that might well be right. Yeah. And so they played a gig in a smaller place. It might have been Bunker like, or something like, like that. Like a sound check. So yeah, yeah, the night before. And that was, it was like, skin skinner, there's, you know, whoever, you know. I know, I'm a, the... I'm a mug for all the... <laughs> great, well anyway, there's a was great... Peter, did you go to the time of Peter in Maryhill? No, I didn't make it, the boat, the boy, yeah, thing said Justin, Justin Curry, Curry did so, like, yeah. fat white duke, and yeah. he said it was all... So I think they do various ones, they get Scottish... Well, we'll talk about that later on. Uh, after a wee break of about four weeks, we're back for the Scots We Hate podcast, and tonight we're going to talk about uh, the great history of Scottish telly with Colin McCready. Colin, thanks for coming along. Hi Alistair, how are you? Not bad, not bad at all. I think the way we're going to do this is start with our childhood memories. And if we get by that, we'll just go through uh, just everything, basically, that we can remember. Um, we were talking music there, but that'll come later on. Uh, it was difficult when I was thinking about TV, Scottish telly from my childhood because the one kind of behemoth is Glenn Michael, and there's not much else I, yeah, I can remember around it. The thing about Glenn Michael is, you know, there's a bit, there's a big kind of rose-tinted spectacles about it. And the funny thing was, I grew up in Perth, uh-huh. in Perth, which is closer to. Glasgow than it is to Aberdeen mm-hmm. got Grampian TV alright oh, and probably a little known fact for kind of the, you know people in the central belt mm. is that Glenn Michael's cavalcade was only shown in STV there you wasn't, are wasn't shown in we Grampian. just presumed in that yeah, central belt yeah, way that yeah. everyone was no, seeing it was only, it wasn't shown in England it was just yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but I would always see it when I came to visit my cousins in Edinburgh or came to, Gla- came to Glasgow and it was a show that I, I you know I kind of obsessed on because as you say, there was nothing relevant to Scotland at that time as a wee boy, yeah. uh, hearing someone with a Scottish accent. And you know, the brilliant thing about Glenn Michael's Cavalcade was it was a copyright issue, a licensing issue, yeah. which was why you would start the cartoons and stop them. Okay. Because they would only pay for the rights to two minutes. Apparently, it was cheaper or, you know, they couldn't show the full cartoon. So that's where you have two minutes of so spider why man he would like interrupt. And you, as a wee kid, you were all saying, Why is he at the last minute? I want to see this. But they were only allowed a certain time. So they built the show around saving money so they didn't have to pay for more than a certain. It was an excerpt fee rather than ah. showing the full. And so that's maybe why they had they had to have the sidekick of Paladin the Lamp, which yeah. is one of the oddest sidekicks yeah. that you've ever seen. It's a mental. Uh, Program, but yeah, as you say, I think it probably was. I don't think Grampian TV uh, from Aberdeen had. Uh, I don't think it had any kids. Any kids program. Program. No, I just I thought that because I was expecting when I thought, "Oh, we'll do this," to suddenly have all these memories of children's telly. But the things I remember watching that were distinctly Scottish were things that probably weren't for me. Like, for instance, Weir's Way. Yeah, there was obviously all the kind of you know. I remember watched seeing things like the Vital Spark. Mm-hmm like reruns of that probably in the late 70s and uh, thinking that, you know, thinking that was, uh, you know, he, you know, again, growing up in Scotland in the 70s, I suppose there was a lot of play for today's and stuff, the Peter McDougall yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, I don't remember in primetime TV. I only got to see them latterly, probably still far too young, but, you know, you're right, they were happening in, in the mid to late uh, 70s and I think if you'd been 
pre-ten-year-old or whatever and watching them, then you had very liberal parents or folk who just didn't care. thing was, that's why, <laughs> for, for anyone of our kind of generation, that's why it was such a an amazing moment seeing Gregory's girl. Yeah. Because it was the first time I'd ever seen Scotland on the screen that related to my life, that was about teenagers that, that did normal things and... And I was kind of blown away by that because there was there just wasn't. I don't think that was well. I I have no recollection of that being on no TV there, or there certainly no, on the cinema. There was no Scottish Green Hill or no, no. You know, there was there wasn't any representation of what was going on at school. And although some people have said, well, Gregory's Girl was, it was light comedy, and, and no, that's exactly the kind of thing that was going on at my school. It, yeah, almost exactly. And it was it. so true. It was yeah. so, and it was seeing people speak. And our own accents just do nothing, just mm. farting about, do you know what I mean? And that that is the be- that is the beauty of Gregory's Girl and why I'll always go back to it is mm-hmm. because it's just, you can relate to it. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, now, do you think the situation has changed? I mean, there are, one, there seems to be a lot of kids stuff and even in the 80s and 90s, there seemed to be uh, both uh, ITV and BBC seemed to ship a lot of their children's stuff up to Scotland because it was often uh, a yeah, programs been made in uh, the Botanic Gardens or whatever. Yeah, I think they did. STV did something. The Disney, sh- the Disney show or something came out. It was a kind of yeah. ITV Saturday morning and then fully booked mm. and uh, various shows. <coughs> I think it was also a thing called Ghost Train, right? Which was a kind of maybe the early eighties, mid eighties was a kind of ITV a kids. Saturday morning show mm-hmm. and it was a regional show so it would go to Aberdeen then it would come to Glasgow then it might go to Southampton so it kind of moved around okay. the country um, but yeah as I say there was no kids dramas really there was the, the, the kids drama that I remember uh, would be a couple would be, would be Hunting Tower I don't remember that Hunting Tower was a kind of a, the Gorbals Die Hard right okay it was a kind of it was a kind of one off I think maybe six part late 70s Sort of historical. The Hunting Tower. Hunting Tower, yeah. It was I like it's it probably based on. I'm sure, it's based on. Is it all Louis Stevenson or? And it was a kind of a tea time drama, and then another famous one would be Stooky. That's what I did in Stooky. Yeah, yeah, Stooky, yeah. which came, which I think was made about the same time as the very first, the pilot for Tiger Killer. Okay. So it was kind of when STV were starting to do drama in the kind of. Early 80s. Yeah, it would be early 80s, yeah, wasn't Stuckey it? Stooky was quite a big, again, that was, I suppose, seeing... Hearing voices and... Hearing, and, yeah, seeing yeah. working class kids just having a carry on. Yeah. Um, who, who played Stooky again? David Mackay. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. I saw him recently playing Edwin Morgan at the, uh, uh, the Tron. Yeah. And he was turning... And I just went... Yeah. For some people, he was always Stuckey. I had a... <laughs> I, I had a Stooky pen for some reason. <laughs> STV, Stooky Pen, the things that, you know, I don't know how I acquired that, but I definitely have a Stooky Pen. But there, there, there is a lot of, um, one of the programmes which I've caught, you sometimes, I don't have kids, so I've not seen a lot of kids telly. Some things you kind of watch when you shouldn't be watching, like that programme Raven, which seems to be set up here, which is just mental. But um, what about you? You, you do have kids. Is there anything you watch now and you think, yes, it's, it's a much better situation than it was when I was a kid? I think the thing is, you, I think that obviously the big hitter up here was Balamori, yeah. which was such a massive big success. And you know, they made 250 episodes and it was so... And it was UK-wide, was it? Worldwide. Worldwide, you know, right. It was, you know, it was shown on CBBS Worldwide. Um, so that was, you know, such a big thing and it was so... <laughs> 
Oh, it was so identifiably Scottish because it was set in an island, you know, which was kind of obviously Mull, mm-hmm. Balamori, Tobermory. And uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a big thing. And then they went on to make Me Too, which was from the makers of Balamori. And then, as you say, there's been things like The Raven. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you watched CBBS. A lot of the, I think something like 25% of CBBS output at the moment comes out of Scotland, which yeah. is quite a big thing. I was doing a job recently where we were uh, um, archiving a lot of what they call educational BBC footage, and it was amazing the amount of kids' programmes that came from Northern Ireland, obviously made for all the Northern Ireland. That was never what it was like here, but it seems as though it is happening a bit more over here. I think there's a, yeah, I think there's, that's the one success story, I think, in Scotland at the moment, is there is a lot of... I've actually just done a, wee, a CBBS show called Wooly and Tig, which is a five-minute preschool okay. show which is on CBBS and BBC2 at the moment. Excellent. Which my four-year-old daughter in, is in as well. <laughs> she's the star of the show. So it's about Willie. <laughs> Willie's a spider and she's Tig and my older oh, girl. Yes, that's on CBBS at the moment. So that's that's on the photo they did, Balamori, uh, created by Brian Jameson. And so that's uh, that's been quite a, a success. Yeah, same thing on under, un, for sort of four and unders. Uh, and it's been on for like two months and I think there's been like three million hits on the iPlayer fantastic it's just that kind of length that kids go back to so your daughter's headlining you basically that is, yes. isn't it? <laughs> she was in she was in 30 episodes and I was only in 23 <laughs> <laughs> not that you're counting no uh, well let's go on to um, which is, seems to be the big part of I think what we'll talk about which is um, drama and I've broken it down because it's such a huge thing and I'm going to start with soaps because it seems to me if we take soaps literally as being soap operas they were the two big ones once upon a time take the high road which I remember watching with my gran which then became high road road. yes yes do you know why that was you couldn't take I think it was it was based upon Emmerdale Farm Emmerdale Farm yeah yeah it was that kind of we'll change the name and hope it's kind of try to save it and keep it a network show and then River City of course which you were in for a while I think yeah I was in um I've been Take the High Road. Oh, have you? Take the High Road as kind of a 15 year old. I was an extra in that. And then I also, just out of drama school, did two episodes of High Road. <laughs> and uh, I got to do a scene in Isabel Blair's shop. Excellent. And then I got to, I got to hold it up. I had to be a criminal. Oh. I had to hold up Isabel. And yeah, then yeah. Uh, the character TJ t- he chased me and beat me up and he ended up getting sent to prison for assaulting me <laughs> so my claim to fame is I did two episodes of High Road excellent that, that is your claim to fame yeah. is it well we'll go on to your other claims to fame well, uh, <laughs> I think they were I think High Road came out there was, you know at that point STV had made I think Garnet Way mm. I think High Living before that which which I think High Living which was made I think probably late 60s early 70s oh, okay. was set up a high rise in yeah. Glasgow and I think it was probably quite contemporary and quite cutting edge at the yes. time so they made that, then they did Garnet Wave, which I think was quite similar to Yeah, Take that's, the High Road. I do kind of remember that, yeah. And I was. think a lot of the same characters from Garnet Way turned it, into yeah. Take the High Road. I mean, I would imagine High Road, just because of when it was out and because of how many um, TV channels there were, probably get massive viewing figures. Yeah, it was, it was networked. And I think, I think in Scotland it was shown in the evening, mm-hmm. but down south it was shown at sort of half three in the afternoon. So I think it picked up a kind of, you know, a kind of housewife's, audience I think and I think it was a very popular show mm-hmm. and you know I think STV were unlucky that can ITV did put their money into Emmerdale rather than yeah. High Road because they were, they were it could have been it could same have been sort of right. shows yeah. they were both quite kind of twee and Coothy Coothy yeah. yeah 
Um, and, you know, to be fair to SCB, they, they tried to keep High Road going for as long as possible. But, um, you know, and, and the funny thing about Take the High Road was they filmed, for a long time they filmed the location stuff in Luss. Mm-hmm. And the studio stuff was done in Edinburgh. So they were filming, like, probably about 100 <laughs> miles apart. It, you know, it was just like, now it would make total financial, it'd be madness to yeah. do something like that. Uh, I can imagine there was a lot of those kind of things happened when when money was perhaps not looked upon yes. as tightly as it is yes. these days. Uh, making uh, having a TV station was a license to print money. Um, so what about River City? What do we to make of River City? Is this, you think it's a success story? I think it is. Yeah. Think Anything that manages to stay on TV, I think as yeah, long as it I has. Think, I mean, River City's coming up to to ten years. Uh, is it really good? Yeah, I think you know. I think it gets a kind of thirty five percent audience share. Uh, Maybe half a million folk watch it, so I think it is. I think people like it. I think, yeah. it, it, and it's kept its audience, and and it's like all these things. It's easy to knock these sort of shows. Yeah, and, you know, I went. I did. Um, I think maybe fifteen episodes of uh, River City, uh, and I was blown away by the set. The set mm-hmm. down there is, it's the biggest, uh, set in Europe, <laughs> permanent set. It's wow, up, you know, and it's built to scale. Coronation Street and EastEnders are not, they're two-thirds scale. Mm-hmm. So the tenements are like really big and you know, there's three streets and it really is, it's, a, it's an impressive setup and you know, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good actors. Yeah, there is. Good, no, do you know what I mean? A lot of good crew and I was kind of, I really was, from going down and doing it, you know, I probably would have been guilty for mm-hmm. not really thinking, you know, thinking that it was just a soap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was impressed by, you know, how much they shoot and uh, how they do it. It's a hard job. So and again, at the moment, at the moment, this moment in time, I think it's the only representation of Scotland drama that has been shown yeah. in Scotland or in network. There's no, I mean, Waterloo Road's going to kick in, it's going to be set in Scotland, but at the moment there's no Tiger, there's no Rebus, there's no Monica the Glen. So at the, yeah, at the moment there's there is no, there's no. no continuing drama on, uh, Scottish drama on British TV mm-hmm. at all. And that's been the kind of past maybe year and a half. So Waterloo Road is, because at the moment it's set in Liverpool, isn't it? Rochdale. Rochdale, okay. And it's, I knew it was moving up here to shoot, but they're actually changing it to be... set in Greenock. Are they really? Yeah. But, you know... I hope nobody notices, is that the Well, I think, you know, most of the cast and crew are coming up and then they'll probably, I think they'll slowly try and replace them, but... I don't know. I I would like, you know, know, it's brilliant. They're making 50 episodes, employing a lot of people... But it's a bit like taking a show like Tiger and yeah. relocating it to Manchester. Aye. I'd rather they took the money and created a new yeah, yeah, exactly. drama out of Scotland than an original one. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's healthy. Um, There's plenty of big dodgy schools in Greenock, surely. That, uh, it's that old school. Oh, is that yeah. what they're doing it? Is it Greenock yeah. Academy? Greenock Academy, yeah. that's where I went. And uh, yeah, they've changed it, they've put the Waterloo Road sign, sign up. Sign up, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's mental. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking of Taggart, let's go into that because that was obviously the the, the longest running uh, drama, would you say, for a, for a long time? Is, I think it's Taggart. Is it's kind of broke all sorts well, of things. Well, it's the longest running non soap drama in Britain. I think mm. that's got, you know, I think it lasted the summer wine, maybe went a bit longer, but it was a kind of comedy. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, uh, but I think, it was, it was, I think it might even be in the Guinness Book of Records as the longest running. Well, certainly British continuing drama. I mean, you were in it for a long time, but also I presume you watched it before you were in it. I watched a the pilot of Taggart when I was in primary seven at school, <laughs> which was called Killer. 
Okay. And again, it was one of those, you know, and I think Taggart was for a long time. Did they do the pilot and then not make the series, or did it come almost straight away? I think it was like, it, it was a it was a three-parter called Killer. Mm-hmm. And it was a character of Martin Manus, who yeah. played Taggart, and uh, Livingston, who was his sidekick yeah. from Edinburgh, which... And he was played by... He uh, was an actor called Neil Duncan. That's right, aye. Um, who ended up in going over to LA. Uh, and you see him, he's, I think he's, he changed his name to Alistair Duncan, which was his real name. Uh-huh. But because he's an English actor, or sorry, a Scottish actor, uh-huh. British actor in Hollywood, mm-hmm. he pops up in like Desperate Housewives and Mad Men and... Do you know I'm always going, oh, there's Master <laughs> Duncan. Because right. he, he still looks the same, yeah. just a bit greyer. Um, so, yeah, I remember watching The Killer, and I think it went down really well. Uh, and then they got recommissioned maybe a year later, and they changed the name to Tiger. And then at that point, they used the No Mean City yeah. tune, uh, the Maggie Bell. The Maggie Bell one, yeah. So the, the original Killer, if you ever uh, see it on like these alibi channels mm. or something... It's classical music. It sounds a bit like Morse. It's quite classy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And um, um, do you think it? I mean, it obviously didn't change. It changed its lead character. or changed a lot of characters uh, over the years. But do you think there was it, it, there was something about it that was always? Because I remember watching the early stuff. A lot of people said Mark McManus wasn't a great actor, but actually there was something about his performance that absolutely you believed. I think, I think the thing about Mark McManus was that he was, you know, he'd come, he'd, he'd started acting in Australia, I think, and he was in like Ned Kelly with Mick Jagger. He was in uh, the Jack, is it Jacqueline Bissett? No, the Raquel Welsh, uh, 100, what's it, 100 million, 52 years, what's the BC? Oh, yeah, yeah, what the BC, yeah. He was in Skippy, and then he came back to Britain, and, you know, he did a th- big series. <laughs> yeah. He did a Fantastic. he did a, a series called The Brothers, I think, and a thing called Sam for Granada. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of really good theatre. He did um, did loads at the National in London. He played Macbeth up here, and Mar was a really good. You know, he did um, uh, you know loads loads yeah. of really, loads of really good theatre. I think a lot of people criticised it because again, it was at a time when they weren't used to having strong working class Scottish accents on yeah. TV. And um, when they were, they were usually uh, in comedies like uh, Scotch and Rye or yeah. something. They were taking the mick out of it. Um, but you know, you look back and these are tremendous. It's funny guys. that I, all, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up watching Martin Manus mm-hmm. and Tiger, and I never, I never actually worked with Mark. Mm-hmm. A, I was in a Tiger playing a different part, but I never worked with him as like a policeman in Tiger. And he was always slagged off for the kind of nobody move. You mm-hmm. know, there's been a murder, all that, but. As soon as Mark died, it was like amazingly the rose tinted spectacles oh, came right. on, and as soon as Mark wasn't in Tiger, the quote, "Ah, it's not as good white, it's not as good white Tiger." But how Scottish is that? But <laughs> when he was in it, you know, he was slagged off. Do you know what I, mean? I was, know. Um, and I, you know, I think I think Mark really helped the show become a big network show. And as I say, as as I grew up as a kind of at secondary school and even at drama school, that was the one show that mm. you really saw the Scottish show that you saw on the network. Yeah, you know that was shown beyond Scotland. Um, and that's you know for a lot of people that was the only that's show. what I thought was great about it it, did, it was unapologetically it was actually unapologetically this region but yeah it, it went yeah, right yeah. round the place you yeah. know you know, you would have lines like the, you know there's been a, a murder in Fur Hill mm-hmm. and Mark would say hey, it's, it's murder at Fur Hill every second Saturday <laughs> exactly. if you lived in Surrey or whatever yeah. you wouldn't have a clue what that was about but it would unashamedly go for you know 
it would be parochial and, and a good way. It did seem that they kept that in right to the end. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't try and say, well, oh, we're obviously chasing, uh, keep trying to keep audiences as, as things become more diverse. Therefore, we'll, we'll you know, knock that down. I mean, Alex Norton's character in particular still kept yeah. a lot of stuff. I think that was be. his unique selling point. Yeah. And I think the thing about Taggart was, you know, it never really, it was never going to win BAFTAs. It was never going to, you know, set the world alight. But, it constantly delivered, you know, it was like, I always kind of, you know, related it to something like, you know, a tin of shortbread or a tin of beans. It said what it did in the mm. tin. You knew what, it was going to be good quality, it was going to be well shot, there would be a murder, there would be several murders, and it would all be tied up, and people knew exactly what they were going to get. That's interesting. And it was, re- it was reassuring, and it, it, you know, and it was, it was, it was identifiably Scottish in a good way, and, and that always used to annoy me, when I was in it, that people would go, oh, Taggart's passed its sell-by date, oh, it's not very good anymore, it should be axed. And it used to annoy me, because I, I would say, this is people's livelihoods, it's it's one of the only big shows up here, it employs so many people. Mm-hmm. People wouldn't be saying that about Tannock's Tea Cakes. <laughs> they should shut that factory because it's parochial. I am brewed, you know I mean? they're, full of, they're full of sugar. And, yeah. But it was just these, you know, there was, you know, especially kind of news articles and kind of the press I think up most here, of it must go, have came from the press, because as far as I know, most people... Yeah, you know, felt very warmly towards right. it. What was your experience of being in something that was so popular when you were actually in it? Was it fine? People treat you well. I mean, your character must have been the first gay characters in Scottish TV. I think yeah. I think uh, I think my character in Tiger was one of the first kind of gay characters in any big sort of mm. network kind of returning show. Yeah, you know, you'd have shows like Between the Lines. I think that had like kind of you know a lesbian character mm. and. But I think, uh, you know, the, the, at that point, I, I came out in Tiger in my second year, so that would be like 96. Yeah. And at that point, there was no gay characters in Emmerdale or... No. Uh, EastEnders Bell. Have, yeah. I think EastEnders did, but there was The Bell or no. Coronation Street or even any of the kind of... I big, have it in a gritty kind of aye, crime drama. Morse or, you know, Touch of Frost. None of these shows had kind of gay... And, and, and what was good about the character was that I think that... He was a character who happened to be gay. Yeah. He wasn't a gay character. I think that's exactly right. And, and I actually could, think it was, I mean, I, I absolutely think it was important in that way because it was like, okay, here's the situation, part of man's life, it's not defining, let's get on with the rest of it. And, and it also, it wasn't could, like every week they were going, you go in their right, eyes and. You could go two years and it wouldn't be right, mentioned. Exactly. And, then, and I, think it, I think it was quite a. You know, and there, wasn't a, you know, there was never a big fuss made about it. But, but that's uh, the important thing. I but I also thought it was quite a positive thing that Fair he was so. he was a a good successful policeman and character mm-hmm. who just happened to be gay. Yeah. I think that was the best kind of thing about it that it, it wasn't important. Um, and you never had any too much hassle with that. Then? No, the best the best part of it was um, was the headline in the Sun. <laughs> when, uh, it came out that my character was going to be gay, and the headline was just faggot. Oh God! Which, uh, God, yeah, uh, you know, the, the kind that, of, that kind of about its time, yeah, and you yeah. know, it's how lovely it is to see a lot of the people that were involved in News International yeah. from that period getting dragged up. Oh, and, uh, no, there was a few times you'd be at the football and go, "Oh, there's the wee puffy tiger." <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny because I'd got the part in Tiger. Uh, was it discussed with you? Was it saying no, this? Not before. Not no, no. I did like apparently quite a few people knew but not me so 
I did, I did like three episodes without knowing that the character was going to be gay. Mm-hmm. But you know, the costume lady knew and the makeup and you know, afterwards this came out. Uh, and I felt when I got told the character was going to be gay, I felt as if I was I had to come out to all my friends and family. <laughs> You had to go, by the way, my character in Tiger is gay. So I kind of felt as if I did. I had to actually yeah, come out. Yeah, method. Yeah, <laughs> to like my old school teacher and stuff. So now that it's no longer going, I mean, how do you feel about that? It seemed to be very sudden. They seemed to try and change a few things. I mean, you obviously, you'd left before the... I got the elbow. You got the elbow, didn't oh. you? And, uh, and then... Is that why it all fell apart? You left well, I was at a do recently and um, Tam Cowan came up with... Uh, it was hosting it and he, it, it was the week that Taggart had been axed by TV and he he left the audience with this statement that, that Taggart continued for 18 years without Martin Manus, but six months without me. <laughs> so I would rest my case. Rest your case, absolutely. I think the thing was, it's, it's like all these things, if it ain't broke, don't mm. try and change, with, change it. Yeah. And basically, STV and their infinite wisdom replaced all the producers, all the directors, all the writers, and brought everyone up from down south to try and make it better. Mm-hmm. And killed uh, it. Yeah, and people obviously came in and tried to make their mark, and well, we'll get rid of one of the characters, which is fine. You know that yeah. that happened before. Uh, before mm-hmm. Mark had died, you know, no, you know, as an actor in Tiger, you knew. Eventually. This show's called Tiger, and Tiger's not in it. So <laughs> you know, you were net, you were you. Your job, your, your jacket was always on a shoe-blade peg. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, my character, who'd been in it for 75 episodes, 15 years, mm-hmm. didn't even get an exit. Yeah. They didn't even mention his name or mention where he'd gone. And I just thought that was disrespectful to, yeah. A, to me. And an audience. Also to an audience and also to the actors that were still in it as well, yeah. the characters, to not even... Oh, you know, and you could do it in one line. Yeah. Closing a pub door going, bye Stuart, good luck in promotion in the dogs branch or whatever. And <laughs> the spaceship comes down and it's slowly climbing. And I just thought and I thought that was party to you know, one of the reasons that when they tried to launch the new Tiger, a lot of the press stuff was kinda of negative about how I'd been treated mm. and how you upset. I think it is a really disrespectful to an audience that's been following for for as long as, as people have a target with your character been in for 15 years just to not even give them the respect of saying well this is what's going on so they can because people as you'll know better than I do people take their television very very seriously yeah, and also a major character leaving a show in any other show is seen as a positive thing mm-hmm. and that can be an explosive yeah. way of getting out of a show and you know and I, you know, I also thought that in Tigers 100 and whatever 10 episodes whatever there was never once where one of the cops had been the killer. Yeah. I could, you know what I mean? I could have been the killer. Or, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they could have done something that was... That would have been a huge shift was quite explosive. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I was some point I was getting blackmailed or whatever. Yeah. That they really missed a chance. Mm-hmm. And you know, the bottom line is, although the show wasn't called Fraser, I was in a lot more episodes than Mark mm-hmm. ever was. And you know, I just, as I say, just it left a kind of bad taste in my mouth. Something I've been very proud of. Is that just people coming up, a whole group and folk... It's almost their own ego saying, we want yeah, to do this, we don't, we don't care what's happened before. Yeah, we'll shake it up like, and we'll save money and we'll just... Ah, well, you know, well, let's we'll, not deal on the sadness of the <laughs> uh, Other, other um, crime uh, dramas, I mean, I, Rebus obviously, I thought poor casting for the original Rebus, but they got it right with Ken Scott. Yeah, I think so. I think um, 
you know, John Han, I think, produced the original Rebus. Which I didn't realise till recently. And yeah, I don't he, think it would have got made, apparently, without his interview. Yeah, you know. and I think that John Han at that point was a big ITV name. and um, But there must have been some point where John Han, I probably thought... I'm not the boy. I'm not the guy for this. I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, and you know. And again, it's no disrespect to John Hanna, but no. he was, you know, he was the wrong it, person. It just, just didn't fit at all to play the part. Yeah. And I think when, you know, they got Ken Stott, he was he was what a lot of people thought mm. Rebus should be. Yeah. Um, and you know he was you know he was from Edinburgh and he was the right age and the right look and looked as if he yeah. hung about the Oxford bar. You've just reminded me of Brond, which I completely forgot. Do you remember Brond? Brond was, yeah, Channel well, 4. Yeah, yeah and it was uh, Stratford John's and a very, very young John Hanna. And Stratford John's Push. thrown off Kelvin no, He pushes a kid off Kelvin push, yeah, yeah. It's almost like a kind of Faustus thing. He's the, is he the devil? And, oh, wow, that was tremendous drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. I think that was one of John Hanna's first jobs. I think it must have been, yeah. And it was good. And like These shows have kind of just disappeared, but yeah. as you say, the kind of memories come back. Yeah, that, that you know, and that was when I think Channel Four spent used to make a good few drama. I think called Blood Red Roses. Oh right, which was a John McGrath kind of okay. trade union kind of thing. Oh yeah, that yeah. does ring a bell. Yeah, oh, well, another one which I think is similar, which I managed to get on VHS recently from some at university, was David Kane's Jute City. Yeah, Jute City was um, set in Dundee, obviously. Mm. But the irony of that was most of it was filmed in Liverpool. Was it? Apparently, and a lot yeah. of the actors were uh, from the set in Glasgow, I think, as yeah. well, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, David Kane was a, a great writer and, you know, he still writes and directs. You know, he did some brilliant one-off mm-hmm. kind of play for today's, or screen one, screen, yeah. screen two's um, Shadow in the Sun, which was about a, which was set in Fife in the, the time of the going to the moon. Mm-hmm. And it was about these two wee boys obsessing and going to the moon. And their next door neighbour was like an albino. And it was a bit kind of... It was a bit... Um, yeah. And he, you know, they, they looked in his car and there was no... It was a beetle. And there was no engine in the front and they thought he was an alien. So it was a bit kind of like Boo Radley. Yeah, uh, that's right. It was, a, it was a lovely little film. And he made, you know, another one called Dream Baby. And, you know, David Kane did a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I think he's a very underrated uh, writer. And then he did kind of movies in the... Nineties, yeah, uh, and he's you know he's still he's, he wrote in Tiger and Sea of Souls, Sea of Souls, course, sea of Souls. Yeah. Um, and uh, Field of Blood, Field of Blood, the Denise Mina, which I thought was very good. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he sort of adapted and uh, directed that. Um, round about that time, I think that you maybe a bit later there was the drama Looking for Jojo, which is not really crime, but it's more. Uh, uh, Bobby Carlyle Can I, yeah. drug. It was kind of Irvin Welsh-ish. Yeah, Irvin Welsh meets Goodfellas. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I, I do remember a scene where he's dressed as a rabbit, and he comes in and yeah, he's a scary someone. rabbit. Yeah. yeah, and it started off with uh, was it in the city? The really good yeah. one, uh, by the jam. Very, really, it did have a really good soundtrack. Yeah, too. great soundtrack. In fact, I think at the beginning it's kids jumping up and down in yeah. front of a poster. Yeah, it? kind of trampoline off yeah. like a Thatcher poster. Uh, yeah, it was a good, great series, and it was directed by John McKenzie. Mm. Who had directed all the Peter McDougall stuff uh, in the seventies? Yeah. Um, so, you know that was a. You know, I mean, the, I think the eighties and nineties were a bit of a golden age. Yeah, for, I agree with for you. Scottish TV. Um, I mean, we'll talk about the play for today and Peter, uh, Peter McDougall uh, later. But Irvin Welsh has actually done a couple of TV things. One I think which was pretty good. One which was awful. I don't know if you've seen them both. One was Wearing Bells. Mm-hmm. I thought that was alright. Yeah, I mean, what I liked about Wedding Bells was that it was 
Yeah, girls. Yeah, which was the accusation that's always kind of levelled at Irvin Welsh. I've done it myself, is that, well, he's very good, but he can't really write female figures. And yeah, here was four strong uh, standout um, performances as well. Yeah, and I think that was, it was also really refreshing seeing really good performances from Scottish actresses Mm -hmm. in that. Um, You know, it was a really good cast, Michelle Gomez and Shauna McDonald. It was, it was brilliant. And that's, and, and I suppose the, that's been the problem over the years is that most drama coming out of Scotland's been, you know, the pretty, pretty male eh, orientated. Mm-hmm. You know, with the exception of maybe stuff like the Steamy. Yeah. Um, pretty pretty much everything has been male dominated, whether it was taken over the asylum, um, you know, you know, Tiger. Most of these shows, you know, Tutti mm-hmm. Fruity, you would have the token female. That's true. And um, even your cheating heart, I suppose, the yeah. same similar thing. They kind of love it. Yeah, well, we'll talk. The one I was saying isn't so good, which I think he only wrote, uh, was Good Arrows. It was about a darts player. No, I don't know. Late remember Night that. Channel 4. Right. It's really, really is it in good. Scotland? No, it's set in Wales, right. I think. And that's what's quite good about lip services. Again, it's quite nice to see. I think lip service is really interesting because it's showing a Glasgow that even now we've seen. Seen mm-hmm. develop, you know, clubs, we've clubs seen and bars. We've seen lesbians, exactly, and uh, it's still something that I think TV had cartooned. No mean city. Yeah, the, you know, the, and, the, but yeah, here was someone that said, "No, no, look, yeah. this is fantastic." And this is why I like. Um, there's been a whole movement which uh, they call miserableism mm-hmm. of Scottish film and TV, and it goes, I suppose, from like Peter McDougall all this kind of idea of kind of gritty working class miserable mm. you know Tiger Nesbitt all these shows and you know in Scotland we've never uh, we've never really uh, been proud of our middle class kind of heritage mm-hmm. there's never really been no, shows no, no. that show Scotland in a good positive middle class way and as someone who's kind of middle class Scottish mm-hmm. I quite like shows that like lip service or single father that are just kind of you know oh maybe, single father yeah, yeah, yeah. there was another one called um, uh, the Stephen Greenhorn uh, Glasgow Kiss yes just kind of you know shows that are just about there is a, there's no doubt there's a defensiveness because even you saying that this idea that you have to uh, almost justify saying well you know I, I kind of like these shows and we'll talk about uh, yeah, City all... Life a little bit later on but uh, City Light sorry a little bit later yeah, on which again was know, a huge comedy show which was yeah. uh, middle class comedy yeah. you know and, and I think I, I do think Scotland is a real I don't know if it's executives or people you know and it's that kind of the lowest common denominator is just like we'll do a kind of Ken Loach type film and filming schemes and get people off the street and you know I quite like nice you know and I, I like shows like The Book Group mm-hmm. Yeah, for like you know, again, they're, they're, it's not a middle class show because the show would have you know all sorts of people. In yeah, it. absolutely. And I think it was interesting. It's written by someone who's not Scottish. Yeah, and could actually, I think the book group's a great example of that. Yeah. people come over and say, you know, you've got everyone and everyone that mixes with each other. Mm-hmm. It's not ghettoized. Yeah. It's not like oh my god. I don't and know I do, I do think there's something in Scotland that we could have more kind of nice cheese and whiny type TV shows <laughs> no I, I agree with you or at least I'm more, more representative with each other although I think latterly Taggart did that as well they had you know the thing about Taggart was it, it would go from like a big posh house in Bears Den to a, to a scheme yeah and you'd go from a, a kind of coffee shop to the dogs yeah. Taggart always it was never really one world there was always the kind of 
you know, you would have posh folk and kind of Neds, and I think that always worked quite well together. I think people liked that. Apparently, lip service is a great. It has been a great advert for Glasgow. People say, you know, it looks brilliant. Well. It looks amazing. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, what were I talking about there? Oh yeah, Irvin West. Well, literary adaptations, and one which uh, kind of stands out for me in in the last twenty years would be the Crow Roddy and Baxter. I thought that was. Um, a, a superb way that you could adapt which is a big big book uh, and, and do it properly and it seems would that get made now would people give them the money to make the I don't know I think I think The Crow Road you know I love the book mm-hmm. it's, it's a fantastic novel it is and um, it's a brilliant uh, adaptation uh, I think Brian Elsley that went on to make Skins did it um, and you know it's got the kind of cream of a uh, Scottish acting oh, talent from time, you yeah. know Bill Patterson, Peter Capaldi, Alex Norton, Paul Young, David Robbie. It was a brilliant. It's never rushed as an adaptation. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. allowed because, as I say, it's a bit of an epic book, and uh, it feels like an epic bit of drama as well. They take their time and don't mind, you know. No, it was it was a, it was a lovely adaptation. The only problem I had with it, who as a fan of the book, was that the character of Prentice McCone was meant to be like ginger-haired, <laughs> unattractive, geeky, yeah. uh, who lives in the shadow of his handsome uh, comedian, comedian brother, I think it's Lewis. That's uh, Lewis, yes it is. And in the TV adaptation they had the gorgeous uh, Joe, McFadden. Joe McFadden. He was great in it, but just looked absolutely beautiful. And his brother was Dougray Scott, who was as good looking. They were a handsome family. And, yeah, there, the, whole, the whole thing about the book was that Prentice had this real chip in his shoulder. And he lusted after Verity and yeah, well, there was supposed yeah. to be no chance but, when actually. But again, the, t- the rule of TV is yeah. everyone is gorgeous. But that, that was the one thing that let it down for me is that, you know, I would like to have played that part. And if not, maybe like Ewan Bremner or someone, I think would have been, mm. you know, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. more in keeping with what the book. But obviously, that's everyone's bugbear when they love a book. Yeah. Well, he's an, another loved book, and this is, again, this is something I remember watching when I probably didn't really understand what was going on, but it was the adaptation of Sunset Song back in the seventies. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. Again, I remember it must have been it must have been a re- repeated maybe in the early eighties. Yeah, I think that's probably when I saw. I think I, I think they the did um, they did Sunset Song, and, and then they, they did Cloud How. Phenomenal. And then I think they remade they did Grey Granite in about nineteen eighty three, and I think they maybe must have repeated. The earlier ones. And that, Brian Cox is in one of them, and Paul Young's Paul certainly Young, in one yeah. of them, and it's uh, tremendous. Vivian Hilbrun, Eileen yeah. McCallum. Uh, yeah, really, as I say, I studied the books at school, yeah. so I think we probably watched them at school as well. Mm. Um, but these are the, why aren't these things repeated? I mean, I know it's, 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 maybe, there's maybe all sorts of reasons, but you know. I'd say cost probably. Yeah. You'd have to pay the actors, and okay. you'd have to work out what the going rate is based on 1973 and <laughs> multiply it by 10 to, you know. See. You know, that that was why Tutti Frutti hadn't been repeated yeah. for, you know, and I think they, they showed it in, was it BBC4, they eventually reshowed when, it. When they eventually brought out the DVD version, yeah. then, they, then they reshowed it again. And that was all a copyright issue over songs. Over think. music, that's what yeah. I'd heard, yeah. Um, and now apparently, interestingly enough, now I know you had said recently on your Twitter um, about Ken Loach using unknown actors, and you're saying there are actors who have trained... No, no not unknown actors. No, no, not a non-actor. Sorry, yes, non-actors. Yeah. And uh, and I, well, explain your situation, and then I'll come on to Sunset. So I think the thing is that you know, you know, I've loved a lot of Ken Loach yeah. films, and I've adapt, I've uh, auditioned for Ken Loach, mm-hmm. and Ken Loach is not interested in actors who've trained. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want to know about going to drama school or 
what jobs you've done. He just wants to know about your real life experiences and things. And I don't know, I just find that a wee bit patronising. Mm. You know, there's a lot of working class kids that go to drama school and it's very hard to get into drama school. And now coming out of drama school, you might have a £10,000 debt. Yeah. So it shows a major commitment to your trade and your craft. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't like the fact that Ken Loach handpicks some real people off the streets and puts them into films. But when it suits them, he'll take big actors, whether it's Robert Carlyle or Peter Mullen. And, you know, and... Um, I think there's a real inconsistency. Yeah, in. and, I, and I don't... And I, and I think across the crew, it's not like he picks folk out of... Uh, you know, top shop that have written a script. Mm. Or, you know, come in, I'll make a film of your script. Or, you know, it's not like he uses a makeup artist who works in Fraser's, but once, you know. Yeah. So all the rest of the crew and the craft are all, but actors are, you know, he takes that non actors and uses them. And I, I don't know, I just think that's kind of a bit patronising. The and thing that made Disrespectful me, to an yeah, actor's trade. I, I, I think you've got a point, absolutely. Um, the thing that made me think about that was uh, when I was, Sunset Songs have apparently been remade. Mm-hmm. I think it may even been remade, but Peter Mullins in it. But playing Chris Guthrie apparently is Agnes Dean, the model. All right. And I I'll just, be giving that a miss. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, That's one, it's a great book that should be remade. It's time for it, as we made. And now I might be doing her wrong. She might turn out to be fantastic. But this, it's it's a strange choice to me, yeah. and it just made me think about what you'd been saying. And you know, don't get me wrong. There's been people that have come out. You know, Martin Constant was in Sweet Sixteen. He's gone on to have a great career. Yeah. You know, I'm not, as I say, there's a, there's a part for that. I know you're not, I, th- I know exactly what you're saying. It's just, if, if you do it as a rule, it becomes patronising, I think. If you go and you think, yeah. I've got someone here, I think they've got real talent, and here they go, then that's fine, but... You know, I think someone like Mike Lee, who kind of, you know, is regarded in the same way as Ken Lodge, but Mike Lee has only but respect for actors, because he takes actors and he spends six months developing scripts with them, mm. and they become the character. And, you know... Amelda Staunton and Vera Drake is that is no worse a performance because she's a proper classically trained actor yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. it's just that you know you can do films in different ways and you know if that works or Ken Loach that's great but yeah. as a kind of equity card holding ex-drama student have you hopes for Angel Share? have you seen it I'm not, I don't I want you to be I genuinely I, have you seen it because I, I think Ken Loach hasn't made a great film for a long long time that's my thought right. on it. And I always, I, I'm a big fan of his and I'm looking forward to the next time he does. And I, I don't know, I've, I've not seen Angel Share yet. It might be fantastic, but I don't know. I just think it's a bit worrying that a Ken Loach film has been described as Scotland's answer to the full Monty. And that's the kind of that thing I agree with. And that's not his fault. No, no. That's, a, you know, whoever's trying to sell the film. But can you imagine them, you know, saying that about Carla's song? I don't know, they were maybe, maybe he's doing a comedy now, but... Anyway, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Um, you spoke about... Uh, oh, what's the name? That's why I write these things down. The Asylum with Ken Stone. Taking over the Asylum. Taking over the Asylum. Written by... Donna Francis Child. Yeah. I thought that was a great bit of drama. And one that's kind of been forgotten. People remember John Byrne. I think Taking over the Asylum something. Yeah, I think it was. It came out of a play for... Today, or a screen one, I think they mm-hmm. came, called uh, And the Cow Jumped Over the Moon which was set in a cancer ward um, and it was a, a, a big a female cast it was Katie Murphy and Phyllis Logan okay. and it was all women in a breast cancer ward and it was it was a, it'd been a stage play and it was a, it was a good uh, screen one I think and there was a character of a DJ in that who mm-hmm. would come and visit the patients and I think that was the idea that developed and taken over the asylum um, 
I did. I played a photographer and taken. Did you really? There you go. I did one day on that, and I got to take. It was in a scene with Spike Milligan. Spike Milligan. Yeah. Was he really? They had like an open day at the asylum. <laughs> And they wanted to get a loony, to, a famous loony, to introduce it. So vaguely remember that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I spent a day, you know, in the company of oh, my spider. You know, I didn't really speak to him. Right, I got okay. to shake his hand, and yeah. like he was just mental, and <laughs> uh, you know, just crazy in a good way. He was just, oh, you know, hilarious. Uh, I don't think he actually spoke to me directly, he just spoke generally, but um, yeah, I shared the screen with Spike Milligan, so that was a bit of a claim to fame. Fantastic. Right, let's talk about John Byrne. I think it's time we did. Generally, Tutti Frutti is regarded as, well, certainly by me, as uh, the, the, the most amazing piece of Scottish drama because it has everything. It's fantastically written. It's, it seems to be one man's vision almost right the way through, down to the suits, the look of the people. The, what would you say about that? Is that me being naive? No, no, I think, I think Tutti Frutti is it's a marvellous uh, piece of drama and I love it. And it's got some of the bit most quotable lines mm. ever. Uh, from a TV show, do you know what I mean? No, even Elvis had two hooses. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> as close as you would get to, you know, Woody Allen's always thought of as being a quotable, you know, filmmaker, and here's John Byrne doing exactly that. Where, you know, you, you know, would... there's no doubt John Byrne's a brilliant playwright, a brilliant artist, you know, he's designed TV stuff, and I think what makes Tutti Frutti work so well is that John Byrne did write it, but mm -hmm. he didn't have ultimate control over okay. it. It was directed by someone else, it was designed... And sometimes when John, I think, gets too much control, mm -hmm. it's not quite as good. When he made his film in The Slab Boys, yeah. he directed it, he wrote it, and he designed it. Right. And I felt as if there was a bit too much of John Byrne in it. I, I, think, I think sometimes handing it over to someone else, um, you know, just just make just that other pair of eyes. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, Tutti Frutti is it's a brilliant series. Mm -hmm. um, and it had everything in it. It had brilliant locations. It's, you know, it caught that period in uh, uh, Glasgow... You know, leading up to Year yeah. of Culture, uh, when Glasgow was coming, you know, wine bars and yeah. chimichangas. Chimichangas, you know, absolutely, long yeah. Long chimichangas, but you also had the kind of, I think, the Eastern Necropolis as well. So it showed that kind of whole side of Glasgow, uh, reaching the climax on the stage of the pavilion. He seemed to, uh, and he did, he did this in your cheap heart as well, get into little areas of uh, well, Glasgow life that, you kind of knew about they were on your periphery, but he seemed to really understand them, like the the you know rock and roll scene mm -hmm. in, in your in uh, Tutti Frutti and the country and western scene, particularly in your mm -hmm. Hart, which seemed to have an incredible insight to again fantastically quotable, maybe more John Byrne than Tutti Frutti, which makes it uh, not was, quite I as was, consistent. I was always a fa more of a fan of Tutti Frutti than mm -hmm. your Chain Hart. I never really, I wouldn't really rate uh, your Chain Hart. It was something that I kind of watched at the time, but. I don't think I would go back to and watch it. No, I, I, I managed to get a copy of it on a DVD on eBay. And uh, maybe I'm just being nostalgic about it, but uh, there are some great, great scenes in it. Um, and some great lines in it as well. Well, maybe know. that's one I need to watch yeah, it. Yeah, maybe lend it. And well, <laughs> what was quite funny about Tutti Frutti, and I'm not sure if I've got the DVD, mm -hmm. but when it was shown, the first two episodes were shot in film. Mm -hmm. Second two episodes were shot in video, right? And the last two episodes were shot in film, because at that point it was all to the unions, and that's why in the eighties and stuff, Tiger used to be shot in film mm -hmm. on location, and then it would be on video in the studio. It was to give everyone that worked and everyone a share, and it was yeah. all about the unions. So with Tutti Frutti, they shot TV, 
So I had a VHS copy of yeah. it, and you would watch the first two episodes in film, and then it would cut to, you know, 1980s That's, bright video. I didn't realise that. I had the same thing. It like, it, yeah, it was like, it looked like City Lights immediately. Yeah. And then you watched two episodes, and then it went back to lovely film. I would imagine it's probably been graded. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it all looks... It's still, even on the DVD, yeah, it's got, some parts are really yeah. quite grainy. And that was yeah. just to share... To share the work among the different departments. That's quite nice about that, actually. There is. I'm sure <laughs> now, direct, you know, people would go, "I'm not. I'm doing it on film or yeah, I'm doing yeah. it on high definition or whatever." But there was something quite innocent about that. And was it six, was it six parts long? Six, six parts, six yeah, parts yeah. an hour at a time. Yeah. Or fit maybe fifty. Yeah, but again, now you can't imagine me doing that. No. Yeah, no. It was. Um, oh, it was a brilliant series. Mm. And I had another couple of little curios that he did. He did a program called. Um, it was Boswell and Johnson in the Highlands yeah and it was with John, John Sessions. Sessions and Robbie Coltrane yeah. it's a, it's a, I haven't seen it in years but just something that stuck with me I think I was just such a fan of anything that he did I would go he and did the Slab Boys as well it was made as a play for today oh, was it really? yeah okay and he also did one which is quite a good uh, I remember seeing it at school it was called The Normal Service Caledonia TV yeah ah. it was Peter Capaldi Richard Wilson and, and Kate, Kate Murphy was in it yeah and I think it was set in the kind of design department of STV obviously yeah. it would have been and was it on the night of something was it the yeah. night of a was it maybe the first election or something might, yeah the election of the first night on mm-hmm. first night of STV or Caledonia yeah. TV and I really I thought yeah. that was really that was brilliant he is a tremendous writer I mean if you read the scripts of pretty much everything he's done yeah. they'll laugh out loud yeah. funny and that's quite rare I think um, another huge character in drama, and we're, we're cracking on now, is uh, Peter McDougall. Um, I only rec- recently watched him again. I do remember. I remember just another Saturday watching that when I was probably too young to watch it again. I'd been quite terrified by it, you know, because I, although I was aware of Orange Walks and stuff like that, I, I, I'd never think of actually being in and amongst them. Mm-hmm. And the footage from just another Saturday that's in and amongst the Orange Walk. Ah, because they kind of filmed it kind of guerrilla style. I yeah. Think, you know. Well, I think kind of said to them we're going to do a, now apparently Peter McDougall went and said we're going to film an orange walk and they went oh yeah that's great it'll be great not knowing the context <laughs> not knowing the context and certainly not knowing that you would have there are scenes in Kelvin Grove Park if anyone hasn't seen it where people are falling over drunk I mean it's quite astonishing to see I think I missed them the kind of first time around a but again, I think they maybe showed. No, they did, and I didn't see it first. I think it was seventy three. I mean, yeah, I, it was and obviously same. John McKenzie made the you know just a boys game just another Saturday yeah. night. There was the other one, um, the Elephant's Graveyard. Yeah, yeah. Billy Conway and John as well. So yeah. the ones that I remember going out was um, the, where the down where the Buffalo Room, yeah, which was Harvey Keitel, yeah. Which was set in the Holy Lock, which was which again was an amazing, you know, getting a Hollywood star yeah. to come to like Greenock and Gurek yeah. and Danoon and film this story about right, It's a tremendous performance. I mean, he's fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, I, and also, he, we were talking about people who are non actors, but in uh, Just a Boys game, it, it's a little bit like that. The thing that Mark McManus is accused of, but you see Frankie Miller. There is something about him that is genuinely terrifying. Yeah, but and Frank- I don't know whether it's a deadness behind it. I mean, but you are absolutely terrified of this man. But Frankie Miller was a performer. He was a singer. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, and you know, also I think that can work great as taking a musician or you know someone who's a whether it's a comedian mm-hmm. putting them into the right piece of drama. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that all every film. No, has, I know you're not. But I just think it's interesting right. that, as you say, it can happen and yeah, it can happen yeah, really well. And it can work really well. Yeah. Um, and Frankie Miller's brilliant in that. Yeah. And it's funny looking back in these. Uh, 
uh, shows and seeing people like Gregor Fisher pop up and, uh, and Mary Freddie Bordley, Alex <laughs> Norton, you know, all these kind of, <laughs> and seeing them as kind of young men, like Gregor Fisher thinks, is it just a boys game he's in? He's, he's gonna a pompous guy at the bar. Uh, and it's just like, it's, you know, it's such an over the top performance. But you, it, I think you notice it because it is Gregor Fisher. Yeah. Now, I mean, it did seem back then there was a smaller pool of acting talent, if you like, because they used to pop up in a lot more. Now I take it it's it's much wider. I think it is. You look, I was watching that, uh, watching ourselves the series in the BBC, and you would see mm-hmm. Paul Young, yeah. Mary Riggins, Freddie Bordley. Uh, all these they would pop up Eileen McCallum they would be in all the, every show so yeah I think there probably is a lot of the folk who did uh, um, John McGrath's Chief at Stag in the yeah. Black they seemed to all be yeah. working yeah. constantly was that that was that was made for TV wasn't it I think? yeah it was um, I think that's quite a good story that the Chief had been on and it had been a big uh, success mm. on stage I think and then it went off on tour to the to the Great Highlands man. And John McKenzie, who made Peter McDougall's films, came up to do a play for today. And he got there, came up to Scotland, and the script wasn't ready, or there was, you know, there was some sort of mix-up. And apparently he, free range in those days, kind of just said, well, I've got all the cameras, I've got the stock, I've got a crew, why don't I just go and film the Chivia? Mm-hmm. And off he went, and like did it in a week, just went off and filmed it. It was repeated recently on BBC Alba, yeah, and it's fantastic. But it wasn't on iPlayer. You can no, I know that was the weird. I could see people were tweeting, going turnover, and and, it was fantastic. I did watch it, and um, obviously it's very much off its time. But a lot of what they were saying is still hugely relevant today, and especially when they go to the oil workers who are being asked to work in just ridiculously dangerous conditions and if they don't accept them then they're off right. just, I think the kind of closest equivalent today would be the Black Watch the National mm. Theatre of Scotland yeah, yeah, just yeah. that kind of contemporary relevancy to Scotland right well let's move on away from drama and move on to saying can't remember many music programmes there are music programmes that have been made in Scotland but it's often other people have uh, come in and around them but the one we both remember fondly is FSD yes late 80s I reckon it must have been yeah I was probably yeah I was probably kind of it's secondary school so yeah it was um, it was a kind of studio based uh, filmed I think in Queen Margaret Drive I don't know what, what did FSD stand for I think it was something to do with new digital dishes it was something like shared dish right so I think that's right. what it stood for but um, the one I remember really clearly was um, it was the BMX Bandits mm-hmm. on it, and um, they had Douglas from the BMX Bandits showing everyone around his bedroom, which is probably yeah, it was a- And he had these dolls. Um, they were like kind of like Barbie, but it wasn't Barbie. It was something else. And they had rock star outfits for her. It was very tweet. It would cut between kind of random interviews with kind of words along the bottom and. It was really cutting edge, kind of art schooly TV, and then it would cut to live performances. Primal Screen did Sonic Flower Groove. In fact, must have been the uh, mid to late 80s when I think about the bands and what stuff they were playing. But there was, do you remember a band, of course you're from Perth, but there was a band used to busk in Glasgow um, called Reagan and the Rockets, and it was Keith Warwick was the big singer on it. And they were a skiffle band, you know, yes. basically guitar, T chest, bass, mm-hmm. and that And they did a great version of Fight for Your Right to Party. And they were on FSD, and oh, we used to watch, and then it went straight into the BMX Bandits version of it, and that, I completely remember that as clearly as anything. There was all the kind of, you know, obviously the bands of the day, I think Deacon Blue did it, I think Q and Cry, mm-hmm. Love and Money, um, 
I remember seeing one episode there was a kind of rockabilly band called the Stingrights. Yeah, the Stingrights. Well, you actually, were just an, you were like an instrumental band. The, I think the guitarist in the Stingrights also played in Reagan and the Rockets. Yeah, and yeah. beautiful Gresh kind of fifties guitars yeah. and just a great tune. Uh, and you know, like, I think there was like Jesse Ray, and there was like all these. Uh, it was a real shop assistants oh, and yes, the shop assistants. Yeah, it was a real. It would it would mix some being kind of major. You know, and it was when the idea of hopes. what Janet Street Porter called youth TV was coming yeah. in, so it was all moving cameras and up the singer's nose. So they the presenters, if I remember yeah, I right. It was just right, kind yeah. of, um, but that, that, yeah, I think that stands out as one of the best. Of course, you know, you look back to Scottish TV shows of the past, mm-hmm. and I think there was in the sixties. STV did a famous show called Roundabout. Okay. Which was presented by Paul Young. Right. Uh, <laughs> And that was a, a music show that is famous because the Beatles made their first TV appearance. Oh right! On Roundabout, I didn't um, know that. And I think the I think the Beatles came and did it like three times during the sixties. So it's like a ready, steady, go type. Yeah, it was, and, and uh, I think they, because they gave them the first break, they kept coming back. And there's footage, you know, you probably can find it on YouTube of Paul Young as a wee schoolboy, <laughs> kind of eighteen-year-old, a big sticky out ears, <laughs> interviewing the Beatles. Um, and the footage is amazing. Do you know I mean? And I say because they kept coming back because STV had given them their break. Uh, but hilariously, I think STV burnt the film, but someone found it in their garage in Woking, so it is, it is available out there. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, two other shows that uh, I must mention because uh, Nicola Mayne thankfully said, no, there was more music shows. Apparently she got Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds onto an EasyJet flight for a, a programme called Box Set, which I don't really remember. I don't yeah, it was a kind of Sunday night STV mm-hmm. studio, uh, filmed in studio, and I think you had like, maybe Travis did it, The Bathers. And Yeah, well the one I remember as well is The Beat Room, which she did mention, and I think that is the one that The Bathers might have done. And we were talking about The Bathers before mm-hmm. we started this, and there's a great clip on YouTube of the song Angel and Ruskin mm-hmm. with uh, Liz Fraser. From the cocktail to singing on it mm-hmm. as well, and I think uh, there was some "Don't Look Now," which was, oh, was a, it? a STV okay. arts program with Jazz for and Yeah, okay, that's um, maybe yeah. what it was. Box set was just a kind of it was a studio based yeah. um, where, where people came along and played. Yeah, it just played like an album, the yeah. whole album or something. That's what I remember. But yeah. "Don't Look Now," which was a say was a kind of I think it was the follow up ten B, mm-hmm. and it had a big kind of a uh, the backdrop was a kind of it was almost like a kind of New York street scene sort of thing, mm-hmm. and they would always end with bands uh, doing a song, uh, at the end of the show. Now we were talking about NB, and I'd forgotten about that one in particular. But there doesn't seem to be the same arts coverage on no. Scottish TV at all. I think you get the arts coverage on on the radio, obviously. Yes, radio Scotland, yes, yeah, very much. Cover it brilliantly. Yeah. Um, no, I think you get kind of artwork Scotland, and you get kind of one-off art yeah. shows. But I don't think there is. I, I liked NB because it really was. It was kind of like proper magazine form. It was like the list on the telly. Yeah. And it basically would do a bit of theatre, a bit of comedy, a bit of fashion, and then maybe a live act. Yeah. And film a band properly that were playing, and it really did show you what you know what you could go and see in the next week. Yeah. Uh, and I think that and I think kind of Janice Forsyth show on the radio is quite representative of that, of it, that. It is. she will talk about film she'll then talk about a band and a play and I, I yeah I think there's a I mean, that's someone who's done a sterling job for broadcasting uh, in Scotland over the years I know, and sadly they're going to axe yeah. a show which is 
You've just, just reminded me of it. As we're talking here, programmes keep popping into my head. Do you remember Halfway to Paradise? Yes. And now, that, was that Channel 4? Halfway to Paradise was Channel 4, and it was uh, made... Call was the... It was made by Stuart Cosgrove, Cosgrove and Don Coots, who had a company called Big Star and a wee picture. Mm-hmm. And it was filmed in what was called Black Cat Studios, out in the east end of Glasgow, which was an old cinema, which I think it's... I think it's the other side of Parkhead, or just okay. before Parkhead. Um, and it was the, an old BBC film studio. Right. In the 50s. Okay. 60s, they used to broadcast, I think, kind of uh, Kayleys and things from that on Saturday <laughs> okay. night. And it stayed in the BBC throughout the 80s as a kind of rehearsal room. And then it had become derelict. And Paddy Higson, a esteemed Scottish film producer, yeah got hold of it and they made Silent Screen there that David Heyman directed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they tried to turn it into a viable film studio. Right. They made like uh, pop videos in mm-hmm. the 80s and stuff and it, I think the roof leaked in. Ah, yeah. But Halfway to Paradise was a kind of a, an eclectic... It was a, it was trying to be a kind of magazine programme yeah, and there was... But it was remember it being shot in black and white with splashes of yeah, colour? Yeah, and they would have Ian McCall, actor Ian McCall would present it. He was like the host, but it would have kind of maybe Jerry Sadowitz and then... Again, you might have Deacon Blue, and then they might have a feature on like Tam Shepard's joke shop. But yeah, it was it was a good show. Yeah, that idea of just like throwing it against the wall and see what sticks. There doesn't seem to be that people play much safer. It seems to me these days. They used to often turn on. Uh, I'm going to comedy in a minute, but um, I used to turn on like Friday night. You'd see Video Gaiden, which was, uh, it was oh, Robert Forms yeah, doing yeah, like, uh, review shows, but yeah. it was really quite funny. And yeah. you'd often get, I think the first time I saw uh, Sanjeev Kohli was in one of those, I can't remember what the program was called now, but again, one of those late night things, what they used to call after pub TV, mm-hmm. you know, BBC Two. And it seems to me it's much safer now if folk aren't going to just go, two guys, here you go, we'll let you do just it. Just think it's a, the economy, it is economy, is that yeah, sure no one's going to pay to make programmes that go on after midnight, I think, and it's quite sad. Well, let's talk comedy. Um, going right back to childhood, the first thing I remember is probably linked into um, New Year's Eve and Scotch and Rye, and then latterly, of course, only an excuse. That seemed to be the big shows that came around every year. It was a great, it was like, again, it was one of the only times you really heard Scottish voices on, you know, TV as like an eight or nine year old was that, you know, Scotch and I mm-hmm. or Hogmanay and people did stay in to watch it. Oh, yeah. People did yeah. stop. Uh, Wouldn't in, go out until it was done. Yeah. And, and you know, it was all such, shh, Ricky Fulton's coming on. And it was a brilliant show. And it was, um, I suppose it was the, it was just old. It was kind of like the two Ronnies. It was the old school variety. The jokes. Were I was just a wonder though. Lo- much everyone loved it. It was on once a year. Right. Why not make I it? Think, I think they did. I think they did do specials. I think maybe at one point they maybe did a series. Right. At one point. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think they maybe tried to. But maybe the jokes were so repetitive that it didn't work. Well, what, if you hadn't seen the the cop with the glasses right. for a year, I'm right. thinking also in that time that they could. I think they, they liked the idea of like less is more. Yeah. Right. And there was no pressure to oh you know everything now has, make, to be, yeah. has to be series like. They they could regard Scotch and I as a one off and that was the way you know a lot of yeah. stuff in the BBC was done, making one off films. Yeah. And that's what they do with only an excuse now, which I think again if that was to be done in a series it wouldn't be able to keep up the quality because. Yeah. You know, there's only you so could, many things. It, it would work if you could, you know, if you could make it a, a every week, mm-hmm. make it topical. Yeah. It would probably work really well, but. 
you, you will look at the moment in Scottish football, it's the one story, yeah, you know, week after week after yeah. week. I mean, it would be difficult to do for half an hour, but because it's half an hour. Oh, you could, you could, yeah. Well, you two could, hours yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could, yeah. But uh, there'd be complaints, probably from the board of directors rather than to the board of directors. But, uh, no, <laughs> I, had a, I had a Scotch and Rye uh, video, and I can still remember, like, sketches from it um, to yeah. this day. Do you know what I mean? There was one with a chef, and you know, he's, he's making. Oh, he's yeah, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, you start with a bed of rice, let's make it a double bed. <laughs> and then he goes, you put in the green peppers, the red peppers, and the Sunday peppers. <laughs> it really and was. You have, you have Gregor Fisher as a, dressed as a kind of. Um, with ear goggles and a helmet and he walks past and he goes, ah, the pilot's got it. <laughs> and it was just like the worst jokes ever. Yeah, but it was great. Well, it was half cut by that. Yeah. Yeah. But then there was, you know, you know, for all the kind of uh, throwawayness of Scotch and Rye, the famous sketch with Gerard Kelly and Gregor mm-hmm. Fisher signing as the first, uh, the first Catholic sign for Rangers, you wouldn't get away with that now. Yeah, that's true. Do you know what I mean? That's like, true. can you come in tomorrow and sign at 11? No, I can't. I'm at the chapel. <laughs> What's your name? Do you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and that was, you know, that was a very funny sketch, but also very topical. A, a similar sketch to that, which I think was in Laugh, I Nearly Paid My Licence Fee, but I might be wrong, was in the Mason Bond sketches yeah. by Robbie Coltrane, yeah. um, which you wouldn't get away with now. You know, no, I think, and also... Uh, Robbie Coltrane was talking about it recently and saying that he'd been getting death threats at the time. Yeah, I, mean, I can imagine. You know, that it was showing, you know... For for those who don't, you never saw it, this was a, a, a character, Mason Boyne, who, at the beginning, he's painting his flowers orange, the whole house is orange, his child's called Orangina, and uh, it was fantastic. He's got a dartboard with a Pope well, on it, you know, it's just... That's phenomenal. And he gets his birthday present, and he goes and he gives his wife a hand, firm handshake instead of a kiss. It was a brilliant... But, now, I think the next generation, I would say, laughing nearly put my license fee, naked video, and a kick up the eighties. Yeah, but then it was the, it was kick up the eighties first. Was it? Then laughing nearly put my license fee, and then naked video. Naked video, right? Um, and they seemed to be, you know, going for for quite a while. What I will say about that whole time was there was a character again, Robbie Coltrane did, which was a guy kind of ranting in the street. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, him. yeah. And he would just say every now and again something unintelligible, like Roger. Yeah, blah, blah, Roger. Blah, blah, blah. Super and, Nintendo. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then remember, I think Rabsy Nisbet's a great character, and I'm sure this, but it, there did seem to be similarities. But well, maybe you know, I don't know. Maybe in Patterson wrote the he would have wrote for the previous That's show. That's right. So maybe so originally it might have been. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. Because Rabsy Nisbet's originally appeared in. In Naked Video? Naked Video, yeah. yeah. And and it was just that, it was talking heads straight to camera. I think the it? thing about Naked Video was they they had like five or six kind of regular characters in it. Mm. They would have Shadwell. Oh, I forgot John about Sparks, Shadwell, yeah. kind of, He would do straight to camera and then you would have Nesbitt. Um, there was, there was, I think, Elaine T. Smith did a female character. Yeah. There was quite a few. Helen Ledra did it. Yeah, she did one, a woman in a kind of wine bar. Yeah. And they were all returning characters within a sketch show. Mm. And I think Nesbitt just stood out and obviously yeah. but you know I remember watching Kick Up the 80s which had Rick Mail in it he played Kevin Turvey Kevin Turvey yeah. he did see that whole time I don't know whether it says more about me he's getting mixed up and I'm thinking well, that's where they were but Kevin Turvey was Tracy Allman was in that as that's well right. and then she went on to do Three of a Kind yeah. with Lenny Henry and David Copperfield David Copperfield not the magician no god um, I wonder what David Copperfield's doing now he's not advertising I think uh, also the thing, the thing about Naked Video it was a big Success. It yeah, was a big net. You know, it was networked. It was well, that must have been Rick Mail's. I think it was probably before the young ones. I would think. Yeah, I think it Kevin was. Kevin Turvey. Yeah. yeah. 
and even Naked Video it was a network you know these mm. shows were all networked they weren't just shown in Scotland um, and I think you know I, I, I would imagine stuff like Naked Video probably stands up quite well yeah, today probably would probably would something that might not and you, you mentioned Gerard Kelly and mentioned it earlier on City Lights which was hugely successful I liked City Lights uh, there was something comforting about it yeah. I mean I, I, I watched that programme you were talking about at BBC mm-hmm. and I had a clip from it and it does seem that the acting by Gerard Kelly is too much too much yeah. and then uh, and I remember a um Who's the other character in it? Chancer. Chancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he seemed to be the kind of more comedy character. Yeah. And it was almost like, you know, the, 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 this slightly lost boy. But it was something that, again, you weren't used to seeing in Scotland. Yeah, it was good. It was Somebody who worked in a bank in yeah. a settled job, wanted to be a writer and all yeah, and, and, and the thing that the thing that really worked about City Lights, like, I think, about all good sitcoms, is there was something at stake. Mm-hmm. He was trying to become a writer. And every episode, that was his goal. And trying to hold on to his relationship with Elaine. Yeah, and every, all his friends yeah. and all that. But he was going for his goal. And every he failed. And he would get it, and he would get it, and he would get it, and then he would lose it. And that's the same way that I think every, you know, successful sitcom... What You know, it was like yeah. Only Fools and Horses was about yeah, them exactly. trying to make money exactly. and do better. Yeah. And when things like Only Fools and Horses, when they did win the lottery... It's done the jumped the shark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I quite like the fact that shows have. I think a lot of the comedy in Scotland at the moment is there's nothing at stake. Yeah, they're, they're just kind of. Well, let's talk about. A little you know bit what I mean? There's nothing that you know, and I know this is like obviously alternative comedy, but mm. I quite like. You know what's good about Still Game is the right the reason Detra is that is a couple of guys going. We're not going to get old. We're going to have fun. No, st- still game. Um, I will. I, I want to talk about a couple other things first, but still game is for me. I think the standout Scottish comedy of the last few years. It's it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. gentle in places. It's outrageous in places, but it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I know I've got the video, and it is a video of the live show that they did at the Cotters, and it's mm-hmm. it's the outrageously the funny and genuinely moving mm-hmm. uh, about it and I think that's something that people forget it's a mo- it, I, th- it's I think that's the thing that's the best thing about Still Game is uh, when it is moving mm-hmm. and it's the same way that when Only Fools and Horses is moving yeah. or Steptoe and Son both these shows they can't live Jack and Victor can't live with each other and Rapsy Nisbet as well yeah they can't live without each other and it's that thing of you know when it becomes sentimental it's very moving but how they get out of it is with a joke yeah and that is the way that and that's the way most people do it yeah and, that, and that's the way that we love why we love you know you know I remember uh, Open All Hours I remember finding that the most depressing show <laughs> but when you watch it now it's funny yeah yeah it's about unrequited love and you talked about the, the Shadwell character which is John Sparks is that mm-hmm. right was he, he was also an absolutely wasn't he yes now, absolutely something that Channel 4 um, has I think most people sort of have really fond memories of it. It seemed to take a kind of surrealism that Scotland hadn't maybe done before. Yeah, it was in what was kind of you would watch absolutely thinking it was filmed in Scotland, but it wasn't. They were all English-based Scottish performers. Oh right, okay, so I didn't realise that. Yeah, I, I, if I was kind of half and half, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah okay. it was mostly Scottish. Kind of Murray Hunter and Jack, uh, Doherty. Jack Doherty, Pete Bakey, Gordon Kennedy. That's so they were pretty much all Scots. 
but it was all filmed in London. And I suppose that what was probably quite good was it was kind of London-based Scots view of Scotland. Yeah. So you had the McGlashan character, yeah. that, you know, and, 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 not, and runs around. And, and not in Scotland now, yeah. you know. Um, you can do these things. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, no, that was, it was a good, and I think that probably was a kind of more subversive naked video, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Um, I want to briefly mention the High Life just because it was Victor and Barry and I mean I fondly remember Victor and Barry yeah, so uh, going to see the Tron doing the pantos every yeah these were it, it was uh, Alan Cumming and Forbes Masson wasn't yeah. it that, um, who were certainly known in Glasgow probably wider but known they, in well, Glasgow well they did the Denver Festival so they were a big hit in the yeah and they probably were on shows presented by Janice Forsyth and, and uh, they, they were guests on the Terry Neeson show oh gosh Terry Neeson had a Kind of, a kind of chat show, music show on STV mm-hmm. where she would have bands and also Victor and Barry were the kind of comic relief in it. Um, I had a tape. Um, cassette tape? Cassette tape of Victor and Barry. Fantastic. Doing songs uh, which are obviously all pastiches. Yeah, yeah. Of, uh, instead of, you know, Anika's uh, Japanese boy, <laughs> it was Side boy. It was a lot, it was very localised, wasn't it? Instead of Bermuda, it was like Bermuda Triangle, it was Lower Largo Triangle. And they were brilliant, they were, you know... Because they didn't try, again, that thing, they didn't try and explain themselves. If you get it, you get no. it, and that's fine. And it was the, like the Kelvin Side Performing Arts Group, dr- uh, Amateur Dramatics Group. Uh, no, absolutely brilliant, and I think the High Life, again, was mm, really good. It was. Um, Before uh, Mr Cumming went to Bollywood, but it was... Uh, and I think, they, again, they repeated it reasonably recently, and it... I, Parts of it are dated, but though their chemistry yeah. and with uh, Siobhan Redmond yeah. absolutely stands up. It's great uh, performances. Right, well, we're talking about um, more recent stuff. Obviously, Tune the Fat was became huge. Again, it uh, was kind of like naked video. It was that kind of next yeah. generation of that. And but still, Game is a step forward from that because it seems to me a fully formed drama. And that's the one I, I wish that they'd managed to keep going if you'd had a chance because it... I think there was a lot more mileage in those characters. I might be, I might be wrong about I think, that. I think there was. I th- I'm not sure exactly, but I think they probably did about 60 episodes or something. Oh, I think yeah, they did, maybe. I think yeah. they did quite a lot. Because it's the thing that they, they now repeat regularly. It's timeless. Kind of, you know, it's and completely that, you know, timeless. And I think at the moment they're showing it on a Monday night and it's getting like half a million. Uh, the performances, not just from uh, those two as, as Jack and Victor, but from the other cast members. Yeah, everyone. You know, it's a really strong ensemble cast. Yeah. And, and even the character, you know, they might only appear in one, Winston might only be in one scene, but he'll steal that scene. Yeah, yeah. And Naveed and Isa, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. they're, and also what was quite nice about Still Game was all the actors seemed quite fresh. Mm-hmm. Although they'd been in Chewing the Fat and stuff, you know, they hadn't been in lots of other shows. That's right. They hadn't been, you know, you didn't remember them from this and from that. Yeah. So there, it was a kind of freshness to it. Um, but you, characters like Naveed and, and Winston, they just arrive... Complete. You know them, yeah. and you understand them, and and you know you, you. The thing that I think let still game down probably historically was the kind of wigs and beards were very bad. Yeah, yeah. They didn't, and I think that prevented them being networked for a long time. I think because it was quite clearly false wigs, and you know they weren't really made up to be old men properly. They didn't kind of spend the money like French and Saunders, and they yeah. did. You know that people in London and stuff in England were thrown because you could see the glue on Sanjeev Kohl's yeah, beard you know that, and I don't know if that if that was deliberate or what but I think if they had made if they'd have spent a bit of money making the makeup better 
I think you could have made, I think it really would have been a huge, yeah. big network show. And it did eventually did get shown yeah. on the BBC Two network. Um, but no, it's a, it's a lovely show. Yeah. And it's timeless. As I say, people are still... And it is the, it's the pathos in it that I think is when it's at its best. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Is there anything if the, the, you were saying there's maybe a bit of cruelty or just nothing as warm as maybe some of the previous comedy shows at the moment, but is there anything that you particularly like or I, don't like? I love um, I love uh, Greg McHugh's performance in uh, Gary, Gary Tank Commander. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the show. Yeah. Um, they made a pilot for Channel 4, which I absolutely loved. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And basically, it was... It's a BBC show, is it? It was, it, yeah, yeah, but it was done as a kind of... It was made as a, a one-off for Channel 4. It's part of the Iraq season. And if you ever get... It's probably on a, a YouTube. And basically, the character of Gary explains the Iraq crisis from Gary's point of view. So it's very political, and it's intercut with clips from the Tony Blair, George Bush, Saddam Hussein's thing coming down... Uh, and it's a lot it's a far more political version of the sitcom yeah and it was hilarious it was oh, absolutely absolutely brilliant and as a result of that it kind of won a Scottish BAFTA and then Channel 4 passed on it they didn't want to make it as a right. series so it kind of became a bit more jokey and and I, I don't think the series is as good as the pilot was I don't love it as much as some people seem to but I do agree with you I think, I think it's brilliant. he's brilliant and it, again it's really nice to hear a kind of non- Glasgow accent to hear kind of yeah. maybe a kind of five accent. and there seems to be a bit more of that yeah. to kind of wrap up uh, I, I mean we've gone from when there was hardly anything except Glenn Michael and the central belt to now even though economically things have tightened up but there are wider voices River City is a great example it's not just all Glaswegian mm-hmm. voices it's not just all um, white faces you know there's a, there is a real mix we, I think there could be more of that I think I think a lot of the, the comedy does tend to come out of Glasgow and does mm. tend to be pretty working class and kind of scheme based stuff and you know I would quite like to see I think there is going to be this the Bob Servant yeah they're yeah, making yeah. that they're tremendous books they're, they're filming that in Dundee set in Brotty Ferry and I really look forward to seeing another part of Scotland yeah. being, you know we had Scotland the Walk was made up in Aberdeen but just to see something that's not Glasgow and I, kind of I think it's happening in other areas. You know, there's now books coming from Shetlands mm-hmm. from, uh, that have been taken more seriously than before. Wouldn't have even got a look in something. Surely TV is going to reflect that as well. I hope so. Yeah. Well, well what, how long have we been going for? Give us a time check. One hour seventeen. Fantastic. Is that too much? No, that's <laughs> that's perfect. We usually finish with five questions of our guests. Okay. They're very simple. You can ask answer them as you like, and I've changed one of them because. I usually say for a favourite uh, writer, but I'll go filmmaker. But let's start with your favourite film, Colin, of all time. And you can do more than one if you want. Scottish or? Anything. Anything. We'd like to leave people not worried too much, so anything you like. Favourite film of all time in a Scottish concept, uh, context would definitely be Gregory's Girl. Yeah, that's mine. And could possibly be my favourite film yeah, of all yeah. time. Uh, I think sentimentally probably something like It's a Wonderful Life. Good, fantastic choice. So next one is favourite filmmaker. Mm, that's a harder uh-huh. one. I think probably again historically over the piece. Um, 
in the film that he had that just came out uh, would have to be Martin Scorsese yeah I really liked Hugo yeah and going back Goodfellas and yeah he's hardly put a foot wrong uh, really even his bad stuff like Cape Fear was yeah. pretty good oh yeah absolutely yeah. yeah amazing to go back and watch now um, third one is favourite book See, I should, I should really warn people beforehand so they can come up with this thing. Again, it's kind of sentimental wins yes, and probably to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a great book, no yeah, problem. And Music Stroke Band. We're talking Friends Again and Bathers earlier. Oh, see, that, that, that is a hard one. Yeah. I mean, I love all the kind of 80s uh, <laughs> Scottish bands. You must listen to our uh, Greatest Scottish Albums thing because oh, no, Nick LaMaine and I talk about like, that period in depth oh no that's like <laughs> uh, my street I also like The Strokes who are kind mm-hmm. of I suppose The Beatles I think for yeah. their back catalogue in, innovation and the final one we ask is what was it that made you decide to, to go into acting or we asked you writing or whatever but in your case what was it that made you decide to to go into acting was it a watch as I'm saying yeah that's what I want to do or I think it was my older sister got a job in the local theatre in Perth and she was yeah. like the uh, work backstage she was an ASM acting assistant uh, an assistant stage manager and as a wee boy she used to get us tickets to go and see the matinees and maybe kind of eight or nine I used to go and see um, Agatha Christie plays and Fantastic. Bernard Shaw plays and I just really liked that kind of whole world of mm. and just bought into it and then we'd go backstage and see it from behind the scenes and just just go to the theatre they kind of love a theatre and fall in love with that brilliant I was I've got down here favourite sporting moments not for this but well let's yeah let's round off with that because I know you're a big football fan and I'm a big football fan and it goes right back to the beginning one of my earliest childhood memories in terms of sport was seeing Archie Gemmell scoring yeah. against Holland and that kind of changed my life because I wanted to do that. Is there any sporting TV moment that you would say? I think the, obviously the Archie Gemmell one was such a, an amazing one. I remember as a wee boy after Scotland drew with Iran going out into the back garden and throwing my Scotland stuff in the ground and stamping <laughs> on it. And after, you know, and, and for that one moment when Archie Gemmell scored the goal, it was like Scotland could do it, we could yeah. be. We it could, was the beginning of a lesson about Scottish football, yeah, wasn't we it? Could win th- we could win by three goals and we could, you know, and that's how it and, you know well. beautiful in defeat. But the one for me, and I've, I was I'm thinking about this recently, was um, I would say it was Alan Wells winning the 100 metres yeah. at the Moscow Olympics because I think just <laughs> when you actually analyse it, and I know that America wasn't there, mm-hmm. but you know, Alan Wells did beat all those guys. Yeah. At other times, six weeks later, he did, he did indeed, yeah. But for a white Scotsman, and man, he was a white Scotsman. I mean, he really know, was looked as though he was going to you know, burn in Moscow. And a big, <laughs> a big strapping lad Aye. to win an Olympic gold medal in the hundred meters. It will never happen again. No, no, I, I, and it, I you know it never happened before. And yeah, you know that I remember that as a, you know as an eight year old, just you know being blown away. Yeah. And then I think he won, he won the silver in the two hundred meters. Yeah. And, I didn't know any better. I thought Scotland always won. We always do that. I think that was our problem. Mm. We were at a time when, yeah, we always score goals like that and we always win the 100 Mm. metres at the Olympics. Now the thought of a Scottish person getting out any Olympic medal, you know. Or even scoring a goal ever again. I know. (laughs) Been in the World Cup. Well, listen, cheers for doing that. We've kept you far long enough, but uh, thanks, Colin. That's magic. Cheers, Cheers. Alistair. That was good. And uh, I don't know who we've got coming on next time, but uh, we'll tell you when they do. Cheers. Mm.